I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Al Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Al Pellets, this is Brian Myers, Becky Haddad, and Mike Ritalik, and we are here by the Al Pellet. And we have yet another fantastic guest with us here today, all the way from Oregon State University, Dr. Haley Trainey. Haley, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Excited. So as we get started today, Haley, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You got it. Well, I hail from California. Um, I am a product of Agate. I went through 4-H and FFA. My dad was an ag teacher for almost 40 years, so ag ed is in my blood. So naturally, I wanted to be just like my dad and went to school to become a high school ag teacher. Did that for about five years, and and then I got to teach abroad for a year, and that was before I went to Oregon State to get my doctorate. Lucky enough, I, I got to stay here after I graduated and now am an assistant professor in the Department of Ag Ed and Ag Sciences here at Oregon State. Um, and I have um, a really cool job. I get to teach leadership classes. I get to support ag teachers, um, pre-service ag teachers, and I get to do some research. Um, I've got a husband and a two-year-old and a six-month-old and a dog. And I like reading. I like eating. And I like watching TV. That's me. <laughs> And you are passionate about the research and the topics that you study. So tell us a little bit about uh, this uh, uh, research study and, and what you like to focus in on when it comes to research. Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned I was an ag teacher. And one thing that I struggled with quite a bit was managing all the expectations of the job. And as I started my doctoral program, I really wanted to study that. Like, How do ag teachers do it all? How do they be successful? How do they achieve this elusive idea of work-life balance? Like what's going on here? Because I, I didn't do it. I ran myself thin and I, I was successful from the outside. You know, we won awards. I did really good in the classroom, da, da, da. But um, my personal life was kind of a wreck. Um, so naturally that was kind of my, my first question when I started researching. And so that, that led to this study. And this study was as a qualitative study. So I got to talk to teachers across the country and I specifically asked them, um, you know, how, how do they do it all? How do they manage the expectations of their work? The, the classroom, the FFA, the SAE piece, all the people involved, um, everyone they're accountable to. Um, and, and one idea that I stuck with was this idea of reconciliation. Like how do they actually reconcile all these competing demands? Um, uh, so that was kind of the, the goal. That was what I sought out to find out and, and got some really interesting answers. Before you get to answers, Haley, can you define a little bit what it means to reconcile? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think reconciliation in, in this case is really just managing and decision-making. Um, so it's what you do. It, it's how you go about managing your work. It's those decisions, but there's also an internal like identity component to it. So you're not just making decisions that you're doing them with like a lens or a filter. So 
if I am a, a, a mom ag teacher, I might have to have an FFA meeting after school, but I also want to go to my kid's swim practice. So I have to kind of reconcile these two things. Like, how do I do that? And why do I make that decision? Um, and so there's that identity work that's involved in the process of reconciliation. So my my immediate thought when you when we talked about that was even um, trying to make sense of the position and expectations and trying to balance that. So it, is there some sense making as part of that, Haley? Yes, absolutely. Um, and when we looked at the results, you know, ag teachers reconciled it in different ways for different reasons, and a lot of it had to do with what's priority, what's urgent. Um, who's in power? Like, who do I need to make happy? How do I make myself happy? How do I still do the job and feel like I'm doing a good job and not letting people down? Um, how do I make myself proud? All, all the things. And a lot of them simultaneously, which you, you can imagine can be really difficult work. So Haley, you talked a little bit about you know who's you know who's in who's in charge who they got to make happy, but then also themselves. And so what what you find in your advice about um, real expectations and perceived expectations that teachers have? What what do people really expect them to do, and then what do they think that they have to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this it didn't really come out very clear on the difference between real and perceived. And Becky, jump in here too because she was actually co-author. She's being humble. Um, <laughs> but there's the expectations are formed, I think, by the culture of ag ed. Um, and while participants didn't really say culture per se, they talked about wanting to win awards. Um, they talked about wanting to make advisory board members happy, community members happy, um, administration. They talked about the expectations of their students, which is more, you know, in the classroom. So they seem to know what the expectations are, you know, kind of according to the Agate system or the Agate model. Um, but we didn't really, we didn't really parse that out a whole lot. Which could be, some of you know, something oh, to explore. Ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think some of that one, just as like a kind of pulling back the curtain on like, on professors and stuff, the idea that we like, we know each other, we're friends and we went to school together. <laughs> I think sometimes when we think about how do we utilize faculty and how do we like engage with faculty, if I don't know the answer, I probably know somebody who does, or I work with somebody who does. Um, and so thinking about one, that faculty network that you have access to as an ag teacher. Um, so as an aside, but when we talk about those real versus perceived expectations, I think one of the things that was really interesting to me in working with Haley on this, as we went through just, it's real for me. And whether it is like, whether we would compile this list from and from people in the community or from administrators or from whoever, like this, it's very, or if this is an expectation I just set for myself, it is an expectation I'm acting on. And I feel like I need like whatever is driving me, it is still this list of things that I need to get done and I need to do. And it's, and it's big, it's a big, big, big list. Um, which I think kind of goes back to the identity piece a little bit when you talk about successful on the outside, my personal life's a wreck or I'm not, I'm not really balancing where I want to be on the inside. Um, that it's, it's not even necessarily which kind of expectation is it, 
as much as like there's there's a lot there and we're acting on these all the time. And around that uh, real and perceived, and I know I guess we're we're chasing a lot of a lot of rabbits already uh, without even talking a lot about the details of and the findings of your study. But when we talk about real and perceived expectations and and egg teachers, and this might go to the power thing that you, you you mentioned earlier, but you know how to what extent do teachers feel like they have the autonomy to define and recognize? who they are and what their expectations are uh, around them, or do they feel like that's more external? Uh, others, whether it's administrators, students, parents, the community, really setting those expectations so they don't feel like they have the autonomy to um, frame out or, or define who they are as a profession or what they do as a teacher. Whoa. <laughs> I, as you were talking, I wrote down a term, false autonomy. Yeah. Um, and this is a drafty thought, but like, you know, in some sense, teachers in general, we have a lot of autonomy. You know, we don't have administrators watching us every minute. We're in our own classroom, making our own decisions. Um, and so there's probably a lot more autonomy when it comes to curriculum and teaching. But in terms of like navigating the, the, the profession, um, I think that might be more false autonomy. In a, in a separate study, we looked at all the people and entities that ag teachers are accountable to, and those expectations tied to those, we call them accountability partners. And we found that, surprise, surprise, ag teachers are accountable to all kinds of people and different organizations. And each one of those people or organizations have different expectations of them. And sometimes those are really conflicting. Um, so, in some sense, I think ag teachers maybe enter the profession feeling like they have this idealized version of themselves and what they want to achieve. But then once they are in it and they're in that community and they're embedded in this political landscape, um, that autonomy perhaps erodes away, erodes away a little bit when they're trying to kind of just navigate all these expectations. And I think that's an identity piece too, because you have to almost mourn um, that, that version of yourself that you aspire to be, um, just so you can survive and like meet the expectations of, of the community. That was actually one of the findings is that ag teachers wanted to be more competitive, but they had to lower their expectations um, for themselves and because it just wasn't realistic. And that was really hard for them to grapple with because they wanted to be, they wanted to win, they wanted to travel and do all these competitions, but they just, it just wasn't in the cards. You say it wasn't in the cards that just like you talked to a bunch of teachers who just couldn't hack it is like what does that what does that look like and what does that mean because you had a couple different things that you talked about as far as kind of how they how they reconciled right yeah it's not that they can't hack it and I think that's a that's a thought um, or a way of thinking that a lot of maybe scholars have or or people have in, in our position is that we just have to get ad teachers to be better, to just do a better job, to, to manage their time better, or reduce their stress, or have self-care, yada, yada, yada. Um, but in reality, like the job itself is not realistic. Um, there, I said it. Um, the position is not realistic. So going through these um, 
these modes of reconciliation. Here's, here's what ag teachers are doing, and they're doing it as best as they can, and they're working really hard and really creative, um, which I think is a testament to how incredible ag teachers are across the country. They're prioritizing things that are important, right? We know that's an important strategy. They are lowering their expectations of what it means to be successful. They're adjusting. Um, they're just kind of relinquishing saying, you know what, this is not going to happen. Um, I need to, I need to shift my thinking. They are leveraging tasks. So they're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Um, an example is, um, doing CDEs within the classroom or, um, F different FFA activities during class. So kind of doing two at once. They are trying to create boundaries. They're trying to learn how to say no and not add anything more to their plate. They are trying to delegate their work. The expectations for them, they're trying to delegate it to volunteers um, to moderate um, success. They're trying to mold their family to their job. So bring their kids, bring their spouses to FFA activities. They're trying to um, you know, just play the game and make people happy and appease those who have power over them. Um, so that they can get funding, so they can get support, so they can get recognition and val validation and continue to do their job. So all of these things are creative and they're doing them to varying degrees of success. But at least the ag teachers in this study, they no one was saying, you know, I got it all figured out. The underlying um, ideas was that, you know, this was, these are coping mechanisms to some extent. Um, and they're doing these strategies, reconciliation strategies with limited degrees of satisfaction. So while they're working hard at doing this, they know it's not enough, um, but they're in a way stuck as to what to do next. So what conversation do we need to have with state leaders, school leaders to, to address this? Or maybe it's, you know, there's a lot of other a lot of other players in there, but is there something that we um, need to make sure that our school leaders and state leaders and education are thinking about to to help? I don't want to use the word address, but at least consider some of the, the, the things that you have found here in your study. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we need to have an honest conversation about expectations. I think that can happen at every level, the school level, you know, the community level. What can I physically do? <laughs> in a work week? What's realistic? What's important for us? What do we wanna prioritize? What do we wanna do well at? And, and, a, and select a few um, priorities, not try to chase everything. And I think that's hard because we have this culture where it seems like ag teachers are doing it all and doing it all well, but kind of behind that is, um, you know, burnout and exhaustion and stress, um, and and many teachers are just unwell or um, ready to leave the profession. So I think those conversations need to be about honest expectations. What's realistic? What are our priorities? What are we going to not do? What are we going to stop doing? Uh, because ag teachers cannot do it all, and they should not do it all. Um, as far as kind of the next level up, you know, folks in in the academy and different ag ed organizations, I think we need to think about expectations of ag teachers as well. What are those metrics? What does it mean for us 
to, to have a successful ag teacher, what's important, what's not, um, and not try to continue to reward ag teachers who seemingly do it all. This is a tricky conversation because on one hand, we, we recognize ag teachers are doing a phenomenal job and that's important, but also it sets a standard that more is more and more is better. And then we just keep doing more and more and more. And then that just makes everyone else feel like garbage. Well, just jump back in here. That was one of my questions. I jotted down is what do we do with our, our award and reward structure? that we have in the profession because so much of it is um the selection process may be based on one aspect but then that award really is then seen as this is the person that's got it all put together when you may know that they don't and how do you how do you not set up that either unattainable or improper standard of what you're saying this is this is what the model should be asking some hard questions today my goodness <laughs> i i don't have an exact answer but i think a, a start my first question is why do we need awards anyways um but but maybe the first start is looking at those award applications or expectations um what's in what are what are those actual written reified expectations or metrics that we're trying to meet through those awards um because a lot of them are skewed i mean when i um when i taught in california our programs were tied to to money and government funding and there are certain metrics within that application that i i wouldn't think are important like how many teams are winning um that kind of thing and it was less focused on the whole program the all the students in the classes um etc so i think that maybe a first step is just looking at what's in those and how are we rewarding um teacher burnout i think those are that, that's a great question and i think i think another challenge that we have in in that regard is that our ag teachers are motivated they want to realize success uh, sometimes that success may be internal, maybe it's comparing themselves to others, uh, programs and, and other teachers and those things. And I think, I think in part, one of our, one of our challenges as a profession writ large is that we really don't have a career ladder. And so, you know, how do teachers really move to the next level and elevate themselves? And I think we get caught thinking about reward systems and awards and competitions as that next challenge and that way to kind of elevate ourselves instead of thinking about some sort of career ladder. Um, you know, being, being a high school ag teacher, middle school ag teacher for 30, 35 years um, may have worked in the past, but I, I think it's all really hard for many of us who are motivated to be successful to I mean, what's that next challenge? What's the next thing around the not around the corner that uh, is going to motivate me and challenge me? And and I think, in part, it's not not directly related, Haley, but I think it also has some implications to to your study and the work that you're that you're doing. Well, and Mike, you're talking about up. There's also the like. There's also the out as far as like it blew my mind when Haley would talk about programs in California that have like seven to nine teachers. I'm like. I don't have that many people in my region. <laughs> like, 
you know, coming from Minnesota, you know, do teachers like, wow, you really, like, you hit the jackpot compared to like, we, we had Trey on, Trey Easterly on earlier this season and talking about like, you know, programs that have five seniors total, like, so, so you get caught a little bit and that's all the opportunity for, you know, kids in New York, from kids to California, like spanning a whole country, spanning a whole range of size of programs. Like how do you regulate both in terms of like vertical career ladder and just the breadth that the ag ed covers? Yeah, uh, we're about to publish a paper in, in the journal that looked at how ag teachers and ag programs are evaluated across the country. So we're able to look at every state and how they're evaluated, the actual metrics that are written down. And there was one item in all of the data, we're talking thousands of pieces of data that delineated expectations of ag teachers by years of experience. So the assumption is that a first year ag teacher had the same expectation and was gonna be evaluated in the same way against the same criteria as a veteran ag teacher who's been in the profession for 30 years. Like that's problematic too, I think. So kind of with that career ladder piece, um, there's no variation in what we expect our entry-level teachers, um, which that's that's no way to, <laughs> to welcome people into the profession saying, okay, here we go, good luck. Well, you know, there's the, the old saying in evaluation that um, what gets counted gets done. But then the question is, are we counting the right things? And are we saying is, can the right things be counted easily is part of the challenge too. Um, so I, I think that's that's a that's a system wide challenge that we have to to help people figure out. Again, I'm not I don't think anybody here is saying we're against you know awarding and providing recognition for teachers, but it's just like there's a concern that when you do recognize and, and, and award and reward people, that does set set the standard, the expectation to do that, and making sure that we are cl clearly saying what what this is because we can also some certain things that get counted may not be the most important things that we do mm -hmm. and what are all what about all the things that are important that can't even be counted you know the student stories the student growth and you know experiences and um those moments too i don't know if we capture that at all did you get any sense in uh, talking about those sort of things about um, what happens at the local level, what that teacher does with their classroom? Because at least my initial perception would be it's easier to count things that go above the chapter. We're talking about FFA now. I mean, what what are you what are you doing at your whatever you call it, district, sub district, region, federation, whatever level, state level, national level, contest, competition wise, where we do we don't do as good a job recognizing rewarding and counting <laughs> you know are you reaching that student that was difficult to reach are you are you making a difference in the students lives are you are you doing those kind of things Is, was there was that kind of parsed out in what your teachers felt do they feel that pressure to, to do that beyond the the school level stuff or is it just kind of all, all mixed together it was pretty mixed a lot of the conversation was around that school level i mean the day-to-day decision-making uh, and the reconciling that goes at the chapter level. 
Um, but certainly there was a lot of talk about how they are viewed by the profession. I mean, a lot of um, a lot of the female participants, especially, talked about Instagram and how just pictures on social media influence how they feel about themselves, how they make decisions, and and um, how that shapes the reconciliation. I mean, there was one um, one participant who felt pretty crummy because she kept seeing pictures of a neighbor school um, ag teacher posting on Instagram about all the things that they're doing and she's up at four in the morning or they're you know traveling for this and that and winning awards and she was at home cooking dinner and felt really guilty for doing that. Um, so it kind of veers from your your question a bit but I think it's I think it's pretty mixed. There's that local level that you see and you deal with every day but there's some more external um, factors above the chapter level and within the community of ag teachers that are really influencing that reconciliation. Well, I think too, also, we know about what's happening in, <clears throat> around the country now and really good people who are, who typically make good decisions, feel the pressure and sometimes make, end up making bad decisions. It, you know, we know, we know cases of, of teachers that have made bad decisions about, you know, student industry industry exams where they were providing answers and cheating there there's there's people that provide cheating on contests because they feel like they have this pressure to win and in most cases those aren't bad people that just went out to try to cheat they they, they felt pressure from somewhere and at least the system has to has to take some of the responsibility i'm not letting those individuals off scot-free but the system has to take some responsibility because you've we've created that pressure that they feel like they have to do that in order to be quote unquote successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a time that that we really think about <clears throat> what we're expecting of ag teachers and how we can make some shifts, small ones and big ones. I was just reading, looking through the news today and there seems to be more and more um, momentum to rethinking work and like the work week. Uh, I just saw like a hundred companies in the UK have you know, started to pledge to go to the four-day work week. So there's like this cultural phenomenon that's in the background. And yet, you know, the ag teachers are still on the ground, just <clears throat> struggling every day. And I think there's going to be a point pretty soon where those two ideas, um, those connect, especially as the younger generations are coming into the profession and, and, not, and not willing to devote their whole lives to their jobs. Well, that's a great, great point. And I'm sure other folks around here are dealing with like we are. We have a lot of talk about employee flexibility to complete work. Ag teachers, <clears throat> yes, they they have a lot of uh, of agency to do certain things. But when that bell rings, those students are walking in the door every day. And there's no flexibility on the fact that you got to be there and make sure nobody gets dead or pregnant and just keep 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 going on with what you got going on every, every single day. Um, and so I think it's, it's definitely an issue that we're going to be working on for this profession. So Haley, thank you so much for doing this work, for um, having us and leading us to ask the hard questions. This is not a fun conversation to, to have and talk about there, but it's something we have to be doing. My hope is that folks are listening to this and begin to figure out how do we talk about this? How do we how do we address this really tough situation for ourselves as ag teachers? but also for the, our, our systems and our states and our school systems to, to address all these things. So uh, thank you for being with us here today on Alcolic. Absolutely, thanks for having me.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.